The Meet for TCAS is brought to you in part by SoneLab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. Did you realize there's an intersection of haiku and banjos? Japanese poetry meeting jazz and hill country blues? If you love the folksy agrarian tradition of short forms, their appreciation for nature and simplicity, that should come as no surprise, perhaps. Yet it is nonetheless thrilling to hear the stunning poetry and haunting, raw, and potent music of Joshua Michael Stewart and learn about his collection paying homage to America's most revered contemporary practitioner son, Jack Kerouac. An accomplished hygiene, and esteemed creative force, Stewart's work has merited space in the most selective, dedicated markets, including enviable recent appearances in the Haiku Society of America's beloved Frog Pond Journal. A music head and avid reader, no more than the astute moderators, you will certainly learn of some unfamiliar great records and televised audio programs from these tasteful connoisseurs. Moderated rousingly, in beautifully entertaining roundtable fashion by Meet for Tea's incomparable team, chaired by renowned icon Elizabeth McDuffie, whom I already knew and deeply respected, has such a gift for moderation and interviewing clearly. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Very educative, too, if you are interested in learning about literary music history and mythology, different less familiar poetic forms like the Haibun, Tonka Story, Sento, Joshua Michael Stewart, Mark Miller, and Elizabeth, too, is as knowledgeable as he is talented, and the riveting discussion here is enormously edifying and informative. I personally struggle a bit with podcasts generally. I'm not a common listener and get a little intimidated by the commitment required. But I'm so glad I took the time to check out Meat for Teas, which I've been hearing oodles of positive things about for so long. I know the show has featured quite a few writers and creatives I greatly admire and would be interested in hearing from and learning more about. If you are a poet, author, or artist, I can't recommend enough that you give this program a listen. Look forward to catching future episodes and catching up on the many earlier ones, which no doubt contain troves of helpful information about process and succeeding in these nuanced, challenging fields. This edition was just marvelous. Couldn't be gladder I found the opportunity to listen and learn. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meet for Tea cast. You might always start like that. Who knows? I'm Elizabeth McDuffie, founding editor of Meet for Tea, The Valley Review, and this is... I'm Mark Allen Miller, sidekick and uh, co-conspirator in Meet for Tea. Yeah, and I'm graphic designer and web guy and um, the hats. host of the Cirques and a whole bunch of stuff. The hats, there are many. Hi. Welcome to the Meet for Tea cast, season four. Episode six. Episode six, because episode five was a bonus Patreon episode, which you want to check out. Yeah. We teased it in the general public, but you need to be a Patreon supporter. More on that in a moment. But today we have back with us a special guest host, Sebastian Miller. We didn't introduce ourselves. Oh, we do in the intro. Well, we could do it again. I'm Elizabeth McCuffey. I'm Sebastian Gray Miller. 
All right, then who are you then? <laughs> Guess I'm Elizabeth McDuffie. There's two Elizabeth McDuffies. You guys are so lucky. You have a wealth of Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm chopped liver. Huh. I'm Cookie Monster. Okay, Sid. Sid. <laughs> so anyway, Sebastian, who do we uh, who do we got as our guest for this episode? Uh, we got the authors of How to Sleep Tight Through the Night, uh, namely Sivia Gover and Leslie Newman. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, we've got a lovely chat with them about their new collaboration and also their other books. Um, Leslie Newman won a very prestigious award for her book, I Wish My Father, recently, which gets discussed in the podcast. And Sivia's got a new book I'm really happy to have an advanced copy of, Dreaming on the Page, How to Use Your Dreams to Supercharge Your Writing. And after having taken one of her poetic dreaming classes, she's right. Tap into your dreams if you want fresh, innovative language for your poetry and other writing. Cool. But I think before we get into the conversation with Sivia and Leslie and Elizabeth, we should do a little bit of housekeeping, how you can support Meat for Tea in ways that uh, help us uh, keep this going. Subscribe. Yeah, yeah. Subscribe and buy. Meatfortea.com forward slash subscribe.htm. Well, just go to meatfortea.com. There's subscribe, there's buy, there's donate. You can even just donate. But Sebastian is going to tell us a couple other ways that you can support us. Get our Patreon, the merch store. Am I forgetting anything? No. Patreon membership. We just added some new stuff for you. Yeah, and the merch store in Teespring. It's sweater weather. <laughs> it is sweater weather. It's sweater weather. Sweater weather. Uh, do you have a meat for tea hoodie? That's right. Mm. You should, because it's sweater weather. I think we actually have sweaters, but we've got meat for tea hoodies. I wonder if they have sweaters. I should look into that. It's hoodie weather. Go to the, go to the packy way you get a sweater. Um, right. <laughs> That was a tangent. The other way you can support us is by giving us a five-star review with writing in a place that gives you a chance to do writing or just like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Do both. And you can go to Good Pods. Good Pods. Yeah, Yeah, go to Good Pods, which is like Goodreads for podcasts. And we're, last time I checked, we were number 69 in the top 100 arts podcasts. We've been... Hanging into our spot in the top 100 since we get yeah. close to the bottom. Once we're number 25, you guys could get us up to number one. You could. So, I think maybe we should talk into our conversation with Leslie and Sylvia. Let's do it. All right. It was a lovely chat. Here it comes. Hello, Leslie. Hello. And hello, Sylvia. Hey, Elizabeth. Great to be here. So I should formally introduce you guys. I am thrilled to welcome to the Meat for Tea cast the illustrious and celebrated authors Leslie Newman and Sylvia Gover, who will be talking about a number of things, including their new and quite charming picture book for children, Sleep tight through the night. 
which is absolutely adorable. Actually, it was I had a um, FaceTime phone visit with my 13-year-old granddaughter, oldest of my five grandchildren, and was showing her the illustrations, and she loves it. She thinks, even though she's 13 and she's actually a very good sleeper, that I'm going to have to send her a copy of her own. I, I love that. I love knowing that. And um, the thing I always like to remind people is the book's not just for people who have trouble sleeping. Um, it's really for all kids just to have a more nourishing, nurturing, cozy experience of sleep and dreams. So, yeah. And I love that you're giving it to a 13-year-old. I've heard plenty of adults saying how much they're enjoying it and getting out of it. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. I love it so much. She was very tickled by the illustrations. And also there's a, a pretty good dose of magic yes. and make-believe and even like kind of maybe rudimentary spell casting. <laughs> well, sleep is kind of magical, you know, because we fall asleep and we're taken on this journey and it's so different than our waking hours. And and I, I do think it's mysterious and magical and fun. Sometimes it can be a little scary, you know, if you have a nightmare, but it's it's a wonderful, mysterious part of life. Yeah, it's like an adventure. And, and I'm loving that um, Elizabeth pointed that out because really there's kid-friendly ways of introducing some big concepts like dream incubation and, as Leslie said, managing nightmares and facing the fear of dark and even starting early with gratitude practices because, you know, we know that going to bed grateful helps people sleep better. So for kids to learn that early on, it's, it is magical and, and beautiful and bringing in some of that sparkle. Yeah. And even some beginning dream interpretation yeah. ideas. Right. Yeah. Dream work. Yeah. Oh, it's all fascinating. And I do, I agree. I think this is, it's a picture book. It's illustrated, but I would not say it's just for children. Of course, um, my arts and literary journal, Meet for Tea, is copiously illustrated. I like to publish a lot of visual art because I think no matter how old you are, you're not too old to have pictures with your words. Well, we are such a visual society and culture. And, you know, we're visual animals that we rely on our sight so much. Mm -hmm. So I think that the illustrations in this book really enhance the concepts and what we were trying to do and communicate. Hats off to the illustrator too. Yeah. Let's give a shout out to Vivian Meinecker. Um, she did a beautiful, beautiful job. And you know, Elizabeth, you used the word magical and, and the illustrations are magical and they're playful. Truly, yeah. truly they are. Yeah. Yeah. That they, they capture the magic of sleep time and dream life and also just the comfort and coziness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you, when you write a book, most, and most people don't know this, that the writer or in this case, writers, plural, <laughs> hand over the text and then really have nothing to do with the illustrations. It's the editor and the art director and the illustrator herself that interpret the text. And then we get to see the art when it's pretty far along. And in this case, at least speaking for myself, I was absolutely delighted 
with what I saw. And that, you know, that's not always the case. So in, in what stage of the process did you see the illustrations? And so you didn't have a hand in selecting this illustrator? No, no. When we were pretty far in, you know, we had most of the writing complete. That's when we started to see sketches of what the illustrations might be like. And then over time, we would see various, um, you know, the progress that the illustrator was making. And we did get to give some feedback. Right, Leslie? Well, I'm looking through now. And for example, there's a page it's page 37 where there's a turtle in a shell. And at one point, I think one of us said, that looks more like a rock. Can you make sure that it's clear that it's actually a turtle who, you know, is all pulled in? And then I know one thing we had suggested was that we have a child. There's a lot of children illustrated in the book and there wasn't any children wearing glasses and actually do wear glasses. So we suggested that. And it was kind of funny because the first time, we saw the illustration, the child who was wearing glasses was asleep. And we had to remind the illustrator, you don't wear your glasses when you go to bed. No, you you oughtn't to. They won't hold up very well. <laughs> now you'll roll over and you'll squash them and crack them. So, you know, things like that. Those yeah, the so there was a little back we and forth. Yeah. 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 Who, whom among us has ruined a pair of glasses by dozing off and then my hand is raised. I have done that. <laughs> yes, I have done that. Well, it's a wonderful collaborative effort. And I'd love to get the background of what inspired you two to do this together. Well, for one thing, Leslie and I are friends, and we've been friends for a very long time. But in this case, I had... 40 years. (laughs) Right. Leslie loves to say how long, but that Wow. Beats us. It ages us. (laughs) Four decades. That's true. That is a while. It's a while, right? That's a venerable friendship. Yes, Yes, I like that word. Venerable and fabulous. But I have um, written a book called The Mindful Way to a Good Night's Sleep for Adults. Yes. One of of the editors from Story, where that book was published, said, wow, I wish I had had a book like this for my daughter when she was a kid. And that's what got us talking about making a children's version of that book. But the uh, the issue there was, although I have expertise in sleep and dreams, I'd never written a children's book before. And so I called Leslie to see if she would be interested in collaborating. Of huge children's book fame. Exactly. I mean, Heather has two mommies. What a classic. Well, that was actually, I'm glad you brought that book up, a collabor- our first collaboration, Sivia and I, because uh, when I wrote the book and I couldn't find a traditional publisher, Sivia, who had a desktop publishing business at the time called In Other Words, actually became the book's original publisher. Oh, no way. Yeah. And yeah. I had a baby in my lap who had two mommies. So I thought, well. This oh, is- how cool is that? Let's do it. So it all comes full circle. Exactly. And That's so we, beautiful. Um, we raised money by actually sending out letters. There was no Kickstarter back then. This was in 1988. The book came out originally in 1989. I remember. Um, we raised, yep. 
So we raised $4,000 in $10 donations and we kept copious records and we told people if we didn't raise enough money in a year, we'd send them their $10 back. Mm -hmm. And if we did, we'd send them a copy of the book. It was very grassroots. And it's interesting uh, because, you know, the, the book's origin is that a woman who had a daughter stopped me on the street and said, I don't have a book to read to my daughter that shows a family like ours. So that's how it began. Um, mm. so it was very, very community based from the start, from inception through creation, through funding, you know, really every step of the way. And also the book is dedicated to a couple of kids, one of which is my daughter, who's now 34. Yep. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can't believe that. Right. <laughs> yeah. My oldest turned 40 this April. Oh my goodness. My son and my middle daughter is, I want to get this right. I think she turned 36. Yeah, 36 this May. And the baby is 29. We're just a bunch of old ladies. Wait a minute, though. I don't embrace that. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) I don't. I'm happy to be an old lady. I feel like I've lived my whole life to become an old lady. Well, you're wearing it well, Leslie. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Just the truth. So, and wasn't just returning to Heather has two mommies. That was really a groundbreaking children's book, wasn't it? Was this the first book to portray a a same-sex parental unit? So it's a little tricky. The way, the way I like to frame it is that it's the first picture book to show a happy, intact family consisting of two lesbian moms and their child. Ooh, I love that. So before Heather, there was a book called When Megan Went Away, which is about a little girl who has a mom and her mom has a partner named Megan who leaves the family. Mm-hmm. And there was an, also a book called Lots of Mommies. And that was a book about a little girl. She goes to daycare and she falls and she wants her mommy and like six women come and they all live together on a commune. So it's not, you know, it's not really clear if they're lesbians or not, but so, you know, there were some precursors. Both of those were published by a very small press called Lollipop Power in the seventies. So, you know, I like to be very careful of the words that I choose because I don't want anyone else's work to be disrespected. Yeah, no, I love that. And who who did those other two books? A woman named Jane Severance. That name that was Lolly. Well, she was the author, and that's actually a pseudonym. Um, and then, but that's the name she published the books under. And then the press was Lollipop Power. Nice, cool pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it a lot, and I, I just adore this book. And I wonder if. You might want to read a little bit from it. Maybe you could each pick a favorite section and share it with our... From How to Sleep Tight or from Heather? I'm not sure who, what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do How to Sleep Tight. And then maybe okay. you can treat us to an excerpt from Heather too. And our readers will just be blessed with a wealth of riches. Okay. Sylvia, do you have a place you want to read from? You know what? I would love to read from the first pages because I think it really sets the scene for what we're all about. And, you know, Elizabeth had mentioned at the beginning kids who have trouble sleeping, but 
there's so much more to it. So the book starts out, let's go to sleep. Some nights you just don't want to shut out the lights or shut your eyes at bedtime because there are still fun things to do. Or you may be scared of the dark or worried about having bad dreams. But you need sleep, even more than grown-ups do, and you need more of it. That's because while you sleep, your body and brain are busy helping you grow. Plus, when you get a good night's sleep, you feel sunnier and more energetic when you wake up. Luckily, you can get better at sleep just as you can get better at slowing, at throwing a ball or playing an instrument. It just takes practice. And, you know, I wanted to read that in part because for adults and children, I'm always trying to stress the fact that we can be active participants in both sleep and dreams. So it doesn't have to just quote unquote happen to us. So I love letting kids know early that they can practice. They can practice becoming better at sleep and better at dreams. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, having been lucky enough to take your dreaming on the page. Yes. Poetic dreaming course. It, it's it's amazing. Like I've been recording my dreams and paying attention to them for a long time. But when you're encouraged to really focus in and record them and craft things with them. It's it's wild how much more you can see when you look around yeah, your dreamscape. Exactly. There's a whole panorama there to survey. So I can read um, this page, page 48. And actually, ironically, it is the illustration of the child who's wearing glasses. I love that. Yeah, oh, wouldn't you, you know, know it? <laughs> so... Um, you know, the book was really very far along when I joined the project, and my job was to make sure that the language was really geared towards children. So I think this is maybe an example of that. Um, so this is activity is called Sing a Sleep Song, and it says, The rhythm of a lullaby mm. can rock you to sleep. If no one can sing to you before bed, you can make up your own song. Put new words to your favorite lullaby. Sleepy, sleepy little star, I wonder what your sweet dreams are. Up above the world so bright, will you dream of me tonight? Sleepy, sleepy little star, I wonder what your sweet dreams are. Oh my goodness, that was so exciting. I have to applaud for that. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, me too. I'm applauding over here. That's absolutely delightful. And I love that. Just You can just make up yeah, your own. Yeah, that little tip um, came from when my daughter was a little girl and we used to make up lullabies together. Just, you know, as she was getting ready for bed, we'd just make up our own. And uh, Leslie actually made that one up just for this book. Yep, I did. The Fantastic. tune, of course, was pre-made. But she made right, right. Yeah, the 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 tune originates with Mozart. Right. So that was, of course, "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star." But you know, when I was a kid, I used to make up new words to familiar songs all the time. So I was particularly drawn to that activity. Yeah. How cool! Yeah, I did that too, and I did it with nursery rhymes mm -hmm. with my kids, like um. Baba, black sheep, 
the final line I was like, and one for the little boy who lives down the drain, which always got my children to crack oh, up. That's sweet. And I had a lot of just Mondegreens, just kind of mishearings of things. For whatever reason, my mom read me Shakespeare. And she, when I was little, when I was like five and six, she was wow. reading me Macbeth. I, I know not why. But I remember giggling and giggling at the three witches and hearing bubble, bubble, toilet trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Of course, that's what you would hear. I thought, I'm like, did, did they have toilets on the <laughs> Scottish moors way back then? Didn't they have toilet trouble? You didn't rotor rooter back then. <laughs> I don't think they had any. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. To pee so or funny. not to pee, that is the question. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> she read me The Merchant of Venice. I remember when I was very small, and I remember thinking of that pound of flesh mm. and going th- through my little kid brain and thinking, well, the only place they could take that from and not kill him is his butt cheek. <laughs> and I just had that very firmly. I'm like, so they must just take a butt cheek, <laughs> which would be uncomfortable, but he'll live. Well, I think this is... I think we're on to a new idea for a kid's book, you know, children's misinterpretations of Shakespeare. Yeah. (laughs) Shylock's missing butt cheek. (laughs) Could be the title. That that is a very catchy title. (laughs) Shylock's missing butt cheek. You know, the kids would go for it. They'd just see butt in it and be like, the book would sell. Oh my God. You know, the the runaway bestseller, everybody farts. I mean, who, you know, I was like, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) (laughs) exactly so i've been fortunate to publish both of you in meat for tea leslie i went to our website and looked and you know the last time we published you was eight years ago oh that's a long time no you were in the kukicha issue volume eight issue three well we'll have to rectify that situation we can we can i'm open for submissions now And the theme is electric. Mm. So have fun. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And Sivia, you were just in the mugwort issue. Yes, I was. And I love that because mugwort, of course, is a uh, herb that's great for dreaming. (laughs) Yeah, of course, as you saw in my salutation, it also was used primitively as um, an abortifactant. Exactly. Because I might have been angry about some... Actually, I wrote that before the Supreme Court did their dastardly deed. But even before so much... But there are the rumblings. Away at ...and under attack that it's unfortunately a perennial issue. Well, and the writing was on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Exactly. Uh-huh. It has been for a long time, yeah. despite... Margaret Atwood's insistence, and <laughs> just like the Handmaid's Tale was meant to be fiction, guys, but they, right, they, they still seem intent on literalizing it and making it real. Wild stuff. So you both have been up to so much. You've got a big honor, Leslie. Yep. So I'm so absolutely stunned and thrilled that my. Um, Last book of poetry, most recent book, I Wish My Father, just received the Massachusetts Book Honor in Poetry. And, you know, I was happy enough, more than happy enough to be a finalist. And, you know, Diane knew it would have been enough. And there was 
some amazing titles on that long list of finalists. So, and I knew that Martin Espada would win for floaters as he should have, because that book is just, I don't even have words to describe the, the impact that book had on me. I mean, I need to get that unbelievable book of poetry. Um, But then to be, to receive the honor just means so much to me, especially because it's my book about my dad and he would be so pleased and proud. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm looking forward to going to the ceremony at the state house. It's always a wonderful and very meaningful event. Um, so yeah, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Of course I wouldn't have, wouldn't have skipped that. That is huge news. Congratulations. And when is the ceremony at the State House? I think it's January. I know it's in January. It might be January 18th. I can't remember the exact date. I know whenever it will be, there will be a snowstorm because it just always works out that way. <laughs> but I will get there. Is this open to the public? You know, I'm not sure about that. I think there's a limited number of seats. I'm not sure if, you know, everyone can bring a certain number of guests. See, the last time... Uh, they did, you know, they didn't have it one year because of COVID. So then the year that they mm-hmm. did have it, which was the last time I was there, it was like a double ceremony. So it took a really long time, I have to say. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but hopefully, yeah, that was in 2019 because I got an honor for Sparkle Boy, my book Sparkle Boy. So, so they had Fantastic. to get through all the winners and honors of two years. And that was kind of a lot. But uh, this year... Hopefully they're just doing one year and it will be a little briefer, but just as wonderful. Yeah. Congratulations. That's huge. And Sivia, you've got a new book. Yeah. I have a book coming out in January called Dreaming on the Page, Tap into Your Midnight Mind to Supercharge Your Writing. And nice. Uh, yeah. That book's truly a labor of love. It's putting together my thinking, my teaching, my studying from the past 10, 15 years. So I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, you're going to get to read a copy real soon. I know. I'm (laughs) I'm so glad I got your email. I'm excited. Because contrary to um, popular belief, editors of independent arts and literary journals aren't wealthy. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was like your get rich quick scheme. <laughs> right. And and then and then start a podcast that's just exactly. very specifically based only on people I've published in Meet for Tea or that have performed at Cirque's. I always say no one else is invited to be a guest. I always say that my decision to become a certified dream work professional was my get rich slow scheme. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I was going to say is that, Elizabeth, everything you do is a real labor of love. And I really admire that and appreciate that. And I'm grateful for all you do for our community. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Sounds like we've got like a little mutual admiration society happening over here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what's going on. Yeah. I I don't feel like I have a choice. I I just, it, it's, it feels like God calling how pretentious but i just i I, it feels like work i need to do now that's the best kind of work you know work that um there's no ulterior motive like you know this is going to make me famous or this is going to make me a lot of money but you know this is what is pulling at my heartstrings and this is what i really want to put my time and energy into 
Yeah. Yes. And I think it's true for so many writers. I mean, I think that's why we do it. It's not an easy road and the rewards come in different shapes and forms. But for most of us, you know, it's, it can be difficult too. There's a lot of rejection along the way. And it's not like somebody's always waiting for your next poem or your next story, but there's something inside that wants you to express it. And I think mm-hmm. that's, for me, that's where the dreams come in because they remind me since dreams are spinning out stories every night that we are natural storytellers. And I don't think it's pretentious to call it a calling because some of us are called. There's something in us that wants us to bring it out into the, you know, into the greater world. Yeah, I suppose. I, I, I always feel like that's got some sort of like religious connotations and I'm certainly not comparing myself to Joan of Arc and I certainly didn't have um, visions and voices come to me and tell me to start meat for tea. But still, it feels like, yeah, it's 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 a compulsion at the very least. Mm. Well, we're glad you have it because you really bring oh, community together. That's the, that's the best part. Yeah. That, that's the real pay is just seeing this growing and flourishing and like really diverse arts community of people in all different disciplines, visual arts, poetry, prose, and music, all physically coming together when COVID allows for it. Mm. Right. It's a pleasant thing. So, Leslie, did you have some pieces from your award-winning book that you'd like to read to us? I'd love to hear some. So... There's actually, before this, I wrote a book called I Carry My Mother, which was about my caretaking my mom through her diagnosis of cancer, through her death, and actually the first year of my grieving for her up to her first yard site. So this book, I Wish My Father, actually picks up where that book left off because my dad lived for about five years after my mom died, which I thought he would like die within five minutes, not five years. Mm. But I was also his caretaker. And my parents' illnesses were completely opposite. My mother's mind was fully intact as her body fell apart. And my father's mind started falling apart, though his body remained intact. So it was very different experiences. So um, I'll read the first poem and then maybe a poem in the middle and then the last poem, if that works. I love it. Okay. When my father wakes up, On that first sweltering night of that first scalding summer, soaked in sweat, like my mother when she suffered those terrible hot flashes 40 years ago, he stumbles out of bed and lumbers to the archaic air conditioner, fumbling for the right button to bring it back to life with a wheeze and a groan and a thump. Next, he shuffles across the faded carpet, lies between the worn sheets, and lifts the torn blanket to cover my mother, who will surely grow stiff from the frigid air blowing between them as she had for more than 60 years. Who could blame him for forgetting she had left him and was now slumbering on the other side of town, wrapped in a shroud beneath the stony, stubborn ground? How he missed her old, cold shoulder. Mm. So halfway through this book, my dad has an incident, I'll call it, that is explained in this poem. 
And so just the poem, the form of the poems is that the title acts as the first line of the poem as well. And then the, all the poems are written in three line stanzas or tercets. It was not a stroke of genius. It was not a stroke of luck. It was a stroke of misfortune that befell my father, leaving him crumpled at the foot of the driveway next to the garbage, waiting all morning to be picked up. Mm. So after that happened, um, my dad's mind started doing kind of interesting things. Um, And so we moved him to some independent living because it was very clear that he couldn't live alone anymore. And that was very difficult for him. And let's see. So this is a poem about that. And then I'll just end with the last poem in the book. On the day we discussed my father giving up his practice, selling his house, and moving to independent living, we sat at the kitchen table and I shouted, not too loudly, but loudly enough for him to hear the questions he didn't want to hear. I couldn't blame him for turning away from me without a word, looking left, then right, then fixing his gaze on a stubborn spot of spaghetti sauce above the stove squinting his faded blue eyes as he tried to envision an impossible future or perhaps finally reading the writing on the wall. I watched as he rapidly tapped the thick yellow nail of the calloused middle finger of his left hand against his jutting lower lip like he always did when he knew he'd gotten himself into a jam he couldn't get out of. After a long time, he heaved a sigh of sorrow shrugged his shrunken shoulders, and shook his heavy head. All right, he held up his hands in a gesture of surrender, saying what I wanted and didn't want to hear. I'll give it a year, he said, as if he was doing me a favor. And then what? I hadn't asked as I swung into action, making a thousand calls, writing a hundred checks, doing all that needed to be done so that he could retire, sell the house, and move. He lasted exactly 11 months and 27 days, always a man of his word. Oh, these are just so powerful, Leslie. Thank you so much for sharing them here. Well, you know, my dad was quite a guy. He was, uh, he was a, a definitely a force. He was somebody that one did not easily forget. So, This particular book ends with my parents' separation with the death of my mother. And then, I mean, it begins with the death of my mother. So my my parents are separated. And then it ends with the death of my father, which is they're reuniting wherever they are. So um, this poem is called, My Mother is at the Bridge Table with Loretta, Gert, and Pearl when my father finds his way to heaven. Sit down, dear, she says patting the seat beside her and barely looking up from the hand she's been dealt. The game is almost through. But my father is too overcome to sit. He stands and stares at his beloved, free of wheelchair and oxygen tank, happily puffing away on a Chesterfield King held between two perfectly manicured fingers, sipping a cup of instant Maxwell House, leaving a bright red lip print on the white china cup, Her hair, the lovely chestnut brown it was the day they met, 
her face free of worry lines, the diamond pendant he bought her on their first trip to Europe glittering against her ivory throat. She looks like the star of an old black and white movie who would never give him the time of day, but somehow spent 63 years by his side. I missed you, my father tells my mother, leaning down to kiss her offered cheek. Of course you did, says my mother, who always knows everything. She plays her cards right, and after Loretta and Pearl and Gert fold, she stands to let my father take her in his arms, and in their heavenly bodies, they dance. Oh, wow. I love that so much. Thank you. You mentioned, oh, it's just so gorgeous. What what card game are they playing? Oh, what are they playing? They're probably playing Canasta. I was going to guess Canasta. <laughs> Is there something about that generation? I think that that was people born in like the late 20s to the... Yeah, my mom was born in 1928. My dad was born in 1927. And yeah, they played Canasta all the time. They played Bridge. Uh, you know, I used to play Steal the Old Man's Bundle with my grandmother. <laughs> I, I never really progressed past that or war with my brothers. I don't even know what Steal the Old Man's Bundle is. What is that? How does it work? Oh my God. I haven't played this game probably in 30 years, maybe even longer. <laughs> but um, it's based on another game, which I can't remember it right now, but but you... Like you put a card out and then the other person puts a card out. And if it's the same card, they get to take your card. So, um, but then somehow there's some cards in the middle. And if you get a certain card that that's the old man's bundle and you get to steal that, I'm going to have to look it up and try to remember how to play it. I used to play it with my grandmother for hours. Oh, wow. It's such a poetic name. Yeah. Steal the old man's bundle. (laughs) Yeah. There is. I haven't thought of that in so long, and that just that phrase just popped out of my mouth. I'm writing it down so I don't. I was forget. just going to say that. I bet there's a poem yeah, there because <laughs> I think there there could be some some fruit in there. Yeah, I think there's something something there. Now, my mom was born in '38. She's no longer with us, but I think that there's a whole generation of people that were just really into sitting around tables with cards. Mm-hmm. She tried to teach me how to play canasta. You know, I used to go visit my grandmother in Brighton Beach. Um, nice. She had a tiny little apartment, and I would sit there and play cards with her, and it was just like time stood still. We were just completely out of time. It could have been, you know, 1982. It could have been 1882. <laughs> you know, we were just in this little co- cocoon, really, playing yeah. cards. Well, because playing cards are kind of timeless too. Mm-hmm. Just the, the the classic ones, the designs on them, that they, they, they are out of time. Oh my God, when I cleaned up my parents' house, I must have found 80 packs of cards. <laughs> or oh decks, gosh. right? They're called decks, decks of cards. They're called, yeah. yeah. And don't they share roots with like tarot cards? Aren't they all, they're from the same place. They uh, do actually. Yeah, the king and the queen and all that, those are like the major arcana and the jacks and stuff. Arcana, it is actually. Which is why I think in some, you know, religious um, traditions, they're against card playing. Ah, I never thought of that. 
oh, wait a minute. I'm actually getting like these dim memories of my grandma, Winifred Slattery, devout Irish Catholic, feeling a little, I could just pick up from her that playing cards was a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Hmm. And I was never really altogether sure why, but... Well, that could be part of it, and there could be association uh-huh. with gambling, too. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Cards. Cards. There's so much in cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, then there's this expression, you know, that it's in the cards. Right. Right. And that would be from the tarot, right? Because that was a divining tool. Right. I think it's... I think it's in the cards for you guys to collaborate on some card poems. <laughs> That's what I think is in the cards. <laughs> I think that should be the theme for the next meet for tea. Oh, you, you know, the, I don't know if I ever explained. It's in the cards. That would be a good one. Yeah, but but I have rules oh, for myself. Okay. I, I've, I've made, I, I think the best things happen when you give yourself confinement. Yes. Same with poetry, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And since its inception, Meet for Tea on alternating years has always been either a meat or a tea oh, theme. Okay. Ah. Tea, so the- drinking tea while playing cards. <laughs> well, it's in the cards. It's also in the tea leaves. Ooh. Okay. Leaves could be a theme. And the only reason the theme is electric for this issue is I found out that the Brits call tea they make in an electric kettle where they boil the water that way. They call it electric tea. Wow. Oh, electric tea. I like that. I know. I thought it would involve like mushrooms of some sort, but (laughs) (laughs) apparently not. So anyway, that's, yeah, the very first issue was gristle actually almost 17 years ago. And for four issues, it'll be meat then it'll be tea and so on and so forth. And that's, that's, that's my, those are the strictures I've laid out for myself, but they, they work, I think. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, cards. So Sivia, what's in the cards for you to read us from your new book? <laughs> well, I actually <laughs> thought if it's okay, everything's okay yeah yeah, i love that i'll read i thought as a segue since leslie read those beautiful poems about her dad and told us about so gorgeous yeah right i thought i'd read a Mm -hmm. poem that's coming out in an anthology this very month um so the yay yeah the anthology is called storms of the inland sea poems of alzheimer and dementia caregiving Oh, wow. Yeah. And my mom, who was also a dear friend of Leslie's. Yes, darling Jane. Yeah. Jane was an amazing woman, and she did end up dying of Alzheimer's. And my brother and I and some professional caregivers um, took care of her. It was a long road, many years. I also, in addition to writing poems about it, I, I created a little ebook about my experience of how dreams, my dream life sort of got me through, how the dreams supported me through this very difficult time. But this mm. poem is really just a poem about being with my mom during this period. And it was inspired actually by a poem uh, by Nikki Finney. 
Um, my poem is called At the Midnight Diner. So it goes like this. At the Midnight Diner, the two of us seated in our booth, a formica sea stretched dumb between us, and you thumb the pillar of sugar, its hinged tab of open and shut, a puzzle to you now, more profound perhaps than ponderings on time or God. You take a stab instead at shreds of lettuce, slipping one by one like sloughed syllables falling senselessly to your plate. The stainless steel tines of memory one might observe are useless as that fork in your hand, the one you try, bleary-headed, to comb through your hair, the one that defies your crumple-knuckled fingers now. No use looking back to days when you could chopstick a mound of rice, hula-hoop ringed onions on your fork, skate-swirl linguine tresses, against the hungry belly of your spoon. And then when sated, flip credit card from pouch in purse, calculate a tip, dance the letters of your name across the line. No, now neurons clatter dully like ice cubes against the plastic chamber of the cup that jitters against your lip. Mama, I don't remember you feeding me. Too long ago, I guess. But I'll remember this. Lifting sliced tomato to your mouth. Yes, mama, chew, swallow, chew once more. Our pas de deux of mother, daughter, daughter, mother. No more heartbreaking than this bowl scraped clean or that paper napkin forgotten on the floor, or the discarded paper sheath shed there from your lipstick-kissed plastic straw. Wow. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Thank you. Crying here. Mm. Uh, so powerful. I love the neurons clattering. Mm. I love the stainless steel times of memory. And then just all the wonderful verbs, you know, the hula hoop of the onion rings and, yes. the, and the, the belly, the hungry belly of the spoon. It's not really a verb, but you know what I mean? I mean, just mm. such gorgeous language, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I knew Jane and she was an absolutely brilliant person, not to mention one of the kindest people I ever knew. And to think of her, brain betraying her like that is just just breaks my heart it really does and it's so wonderful that Sibia you have captured those poignant moments in language so beautifully and you get to share your mom and your experience of your mom with us I'm sure so many people can relate to that kind of experience yeah well my mom loved to write and she loved poetry. Um, she and I would always go to poetry readings together in New York City where she lived. And this poem actually was inspired by reading Nikki Finney's amazing book, Penguin Mullet Bread. 
Ooh. Right? And in that book, she has a poem about a little girl watching her mother prepare fish. And that poem's exquisite. And, you know, that's the best experience of a poem. When you read a poem and it makes you just want to write your own in response. And Mm -hmm. that's what happened when I read Nikki Finney. Uh, So, yeah. That sounds like a book I need to get. So many books to get, so many books to read. Right? (laughs) So little time and so much reading already in front to do. (laughs) Right. It's kind of a lovely thing. No, I think I'm going to have to get a copy of your book, Sivia, for my dad, my 86-year-old dad who um, I don't approve. Okay, I hope he's not listening. (laughs) But he has taken upon himself to be the sole caregiver for my 90-year-old stepmother who's deep in the clutches of very severe dementia. Mm. And I think it's rather a lot Mm. for an 86-year-old, even one who really has his shit together. It's really, really a lot. So, um, Yeah, I agree, Elizabeth. No one should take it on alone. It's a big job, and I think everybody benefits, including the person who's being cared for. Yes, I, I I can see that she's angry a lot. Mm, right, it's hard work. You know, I always remind people. You know, when you take a airplane ride, they say you have to put on your oxygen mask first. So you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else, and you can't do it alone. I mean, you know, that's just kind of waiting for the emergency to happen. Maybe he will listen to this episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's he's um at 86, still an active Episcopalian minister and still tending to a couple of parishes. I, oh. I think one still on a regular basis and still super active. But um, I think in this regard, it would be good for him to get help. And not only mm-hmm. that, maybe if he's listening... Um, Miss uh, Elizabeth's dad, um, Bruce McDuffie, the very Bruce, Reverend Doctor Bruce McDuffie. Doctor McDuffie, <laughs> if you're listening, you would be a example to the members of your congregation. So when it's their turn to be a caregiver, they would be inspired by your strength seeking help. Thank you. Does this make me passive aggressive? <laughs> well, um, well, I will. I will chime in here, Doctor McDuffie, and say <laughs> that in my tradition, which is the Jewish tradition, the highest form of a mitzvah, which is a good deed, is mm-hmm. giving someone else the opportunity to do a mitzvah. So you would actually be doing other people a favor by allowing them to help you, I giving love them that. heaven points. He's the reverend doctor, I should say. Mm-hmm. Okay, reverend he's, doctor. He's mainly reverend. Um, but, but I have to say caring reverend. for my mom was one of the hardest things. I can't even imagine. I, I like, And I was I, very part-time. You know, I had a village. I had my brother and we had some paid caregivers. And yet it's still, because it's your parent, it's your beloved um, parent. And... Mm-hmm. I have to say, though, it was also a great gift. 
I learned things. You know, I think my mom and my relationship deepened. And um, she became aphasic uh, from her disease, Uh, meaning that she couldn't process language. She couldn't speak, um, make herself known by speech. And uh, it's hard to know how much she understood of our language. But I did one day um, kneel right in front of her because she was so frustrated. And I said, Mom, I know we can't talk the way we used to, but you know me. If you talk to me in my dreams, I will hear you. Oh, that's so beautiful, Sylvia. And that night, I think it was the next night, to be honest, um, dreaming, and in the dream, a phone rings, and I pick up the phone, and there's my mom. And we had a conversation in the dream. And after that, anytime I would feel I needed to talk to her, um, that's how we would do it. I'd go to sleep and ask my dreams, you know, to hook us up. And it would often be the phone ringing in the dream. And there she'd be. Oh, my gosh. So the dream telephone. Yeah, the dream phone booth. Yeah, it was amazing. I want to see a whole book about the dream telephone. Right? Oh, that's so rich. Yeah. So that bo- that little booklet I made, Another Little Labor of Love, um, really just shared some of those. It shares that story in, in that little book. And then also things that caregivers can do to nurture themselves through sleep and dreams. You know, some tips for getting some sleep and some tips for incubating dreams the way I just described. Well, Christmas is coming. Mm-hmm. I think I know what I'm getting my dad for sure. <laughs> oh. That is up there because he needs this. I, I wouldn't say he has hubris, but I, I think he just doesn't think there's anything he can't take on or do. Well, you know, I, I have a friend who just got um, a pretty serious diagnosis and her husband is pretty much refusing help. And he feels like it's his job to take care of his wife and he doesn't need anyone else and he can do it. Interesting. And, you know, I just keep telling him that it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength to ask for help. And, you know, he's not going to be doing his wife any favors if something happens to him, which is more and more likely because he's very stressed out because he can't do everything, even though he's Mm -hmm. doing his best. Um, So, you know, I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's a sense of responsibility, but, um, you know, it takes a village. And I joked with him, let's say my friend's name is June. I said, I'm on team June. And he he looked at me and he said, there's a team. And I'm like, there better be a team. (laughs) You're you're going to need need one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And we'll be back in just a moment. I have to thank a sponsor. Yes, that's right. Very generous partner to meet for tea. We really appreciate them very much Mm because it's through ad support that we stay in print. So without further ado, let me tell you about Sucre Bay. Sucre Bay is perfume made by weirdos like you. And they're a cruelty-free, women-owned indie perfume and body products company who love making people smell good. Each scent is crafted by hand in their Washington State lab located in the woods. 
And honestly, I don't know where else you can find fragrances with names like Sea Hag, Don't Panic, Siren Song, Goth as Fuck. Those are just a few of their bestsellers. So great. They have all sorts of other things to bath care products. And also they they partner with a lot of interesting people, including our friend Sarah McCartney of 4160 Tuesdays. Sucre Bay is one of the few places in the States you can get yourself some 4160 Tuesdays fragrances. Yes. So head on over to sucrebay.com. Check out their wares. And we thank them Check for... Check the show notes for the proper spelling. Mm-hmm. And thank you very, very or much, Or should I do it on Sucre mic Bay. now? Oh, yeah. You know what? How's it spelled? Yeah. So if you just go to S-U-C-R-E-A-B-E-I-L-L-E.com, that'll get you there. Yeah. We really appreciate their support. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. We love you. And welcome back. Yeah, no, he, like, shortly after the one who shan't be named, um, the 45th Orange president. Do you know, here's a fun rule of our podcast. You can say any cuss word you want, the harshest one, the most multisyllabic one you can imagine. That's all fine. We won't bleep it. But if you say his name, it gets bleeped. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's like Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, shortly after he t- took office, my, my dad actually opened up. He's got a huge, beautiful house in Westminster, Vermont, with a mother-in-law apartment with its own separate entrance and bathroom. He opened it up to providing safe refuge to Honduran immigrants. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, he had a few families come through. Mm, that's really beautiful. And, and now they're all off living other places in this country mm-hmm. with jobs and doing well, I hope. I mean, things are so weird. I won't go on about America too much. I don't want to detract from your beautiful writing. <laughs> but that, so that's what I mean. But there's just, he's always like, what can I do next? Mm. He sits on his city councils. The, the man's 86. I'm like, stop well, it. Well, now I see where you get your energy from, Elizabeth. I <laughs> commented to you, like, do you sleep? I mean, you do so much. Now I know where it comes from. Oh my God, I sleep so much. I have <laughs> like kind of a chronic fatigue. So it's really mm. useful for dreaming on the page. Yeah. And I, I love your dreaming on the page classes because it lets me not feel guilty about sleeping extra because I might just get an extra dream (laughs) to write about. There you go. I always tell my students, if you fall asleep during my class, you get bonus points. (laughs) That's too funny. (laughs) I love that. So, Sivia, you you read from that. I love that so much. Um, Do you want to share something from the new book that you've got coming out? Do you want to give us a little, like, spoiler? I'd love to. (laughs) I'd love to hear it. I'm so excited (laughs) about this book. I am, too. Oh, thank you. And I'm so glad that you have experienced one of the classes so you know a little bit of what it's all about. I I would go to all of them. If I was made out of money, I'd just be in every single workshop. I really would because they're great. 
Well, we might be able to hook you up. But in the meantime, (laughs) so one of the things that comes up for me a lot with dreaming on the page is people ask me, you know, dreams and writing, putting, why would you put those two together? And I get kind of flummoxed. Like, how do I even answer that question to me? Because to me, it's so obvious. So why would you not? So this is how I start the book. It's called Stating the Obvious, because sometimes it isn't. And I'll just read a few paragraphs from this. Thank you. My idea of an ideal Sunday afternoon is to curl up on the couch with an encyclopedic tome on the science and psychology of dreams, or a book of poetry that makes me feel as though I'm holding someone else's dreams in my hands. That and the fact that I'm endlessly curious about the worlds inside of other people's minds, which I suspect are universally similar to each other and at the same time stunningly unique, might explain why, when I meet people, I immediately want to know about their dreams. In casual conversation, I skip past small talk and jump to the big questions such as what a new acquaintance believes is the meaning of life. When I teach an 8 a.m. English 101 class, I start by asking my students what they dreamed last night. Mm. When I travel, I'm less interested in the cuisine than I am what people of various cultures believe about dreams, whether they value or dismiss them, and what they think they mean. I like to ask the woman who sells sarongs in the market in Costa Rica or the man who is gathering herbs in a small town in Mexico what their parents or grandparents taught them about dreams. A cab driver in the Bahamas told me she believes dreams issue warnings and premonitions. Back home in one of my poetry classes, a teen mother from Puerto Rico told me when you dream of a fish, It means that you or someone in your family is is pregnant. Mm. Once when I was taking a water taxi across Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, I asked the driver, a man of about 30 with a radiant smile, what dreams mean to him. He went silent. I waited, wondering if the question bored him or offended him or if maybe he hadn't understood my fast-paced English. Finally, he explained that he didn't know how to answer my question. Dreams are inextricable from any other part of life, he said. They are woven into the fabric of experience just as thinking is. So he couldn't articulate a statement about dreams separate from everything else. Finally, I thought, I have met a worldview that matches my own. I love that so much. And it makes so much sense. I love imagining you, Sylvia, just traveling all over the world, asking people about dreams. That's just so great. I know. It's a great conversation starter. You know, um, I've spent decades teaching writing and poetry, um, as I mentioned in this excerpt, to teen moms and to adults learning English, um, either because they're new immigrants or they're adult literacy learners. And it's sometimes difficult to get people writing in those situations because writing is loaded. You know, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. fear of being wrong, making mistakes. So I'll often break the ice by asking people to tell me 
what their dreams are, what their grandmother believed about dreams. And then, you know, a room that I couldn't get anybody picking up a pen or talking, all of a sudden everybody's talking over each other and excited and telling stories, you know, and then it's just a short hop from there to putting some of that on the page. That's wonderful. That's a great pedagogy. I love that. (laughs) Well, you know, also in a dream, anything can happen. You just have to suspend disbelief. So what I sometimes have students do is think of a dream and write it down, but write it down as if it actually happened and write it in the present tense like it's happening right now. And that gives them permission to really write about anything without fear of being wrong or not doing it good enough because in a dream, anything is possible. And that really opens up their possibilities in their mind. That's exactly right. It's just an invitation into the world of imagination or what I like to call the imaginal world. And as adults, we get separated from that a lot and dreams are a way to put us back in touch with it. I love that. Do you you teach... 102 classes too? Like I have done literature. I'm not, I used to adjunct and I taught um, a lot of developmental English and English 101. Uh, And I have taken a break from it, but I I do miss it. And yes, I did occasionally teach 102 and other English classes as well. Because I I, I think that um, for a lot of students, interpreting and writing and talking about literature, especially poetry, is super intimidating. And I, I wonder if there could be something analogous created with like oh interpreting. That's exactly how I taught 102. Uh, my one uh-huh. was called I can't remember exactly what I called I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly what I did. We studied um nice I had a reader called Dreams and Inward Journeys edited by uh, a husband and wife team with the last name of Ford. And they have Stephen King essays in there, but it's all the, um, and it's meant for uh, teaching college English classes. And so we talked about dream interpretation and how that's similar to interpreting a story or a poem and the whole nine yards. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool because I I, I remember just being so intimidated to dig into a work of literature and being so fearful of being wrong. And on the other side of those students were the ones who thought you could say anything that you opined about a work of literature, no matter how little textual evidence there was. Right. <laughs> for, <laughs> there's got to be some textual evidence. <laughs> right. Well, I have to say, yeah. in addition to Leslie, who's somebody I love to speak about dreams with, I have another friend who um, has no background in dream work at all, But when I have a dream, I often turn to her to help me understand what it means. And she always is like, why me? And I say, you come up with the best interpretations. And I can only think it's because you're a PhD in literature and you're just trained to interpret text. Uh, Oh, sure. I mean, naturally, I have have most of a doctorate. I'm I'm one of the legions of... (laughs) ABD people, ABD. Yeah, I had the hubris of thinking I could do a PhD and single parent. One of my kids was out of the house, but the two younger ones were still at home. 
and I could teach extra sections and moonlight a retail job because I wasn't getting child support and um, do it. Uh, I was wrong, <laughs> but I got pretty far. <laughs> Hubris, I'm telling you. So we are almost at the hour and 10 minute mark, unbelievably. And I don't interview, but I do close every podcast with a few questions. The same questions to every guest. First of all, everyone should know where they can find you and follow you and where they can purchase your books and events you have coming up and classes and all that good stuff. So my name, Sivia Gover, is one way to find me, siviagover.com, and that's T-Z-I-V-I-A, Gover, G-O-V-E-R, or just use the name of my book, dreamingonthepage.com. Um, either of those will take you to um, all the information you need about my books and my classes, my Dreaming on the Page classes, which are taught online and in person. And, which I can vouch for. Mm, thank you. And <laughs> I'm very easy to find on social media. Um, my name, again, Sivia Gover or Sivia Dreams, T-Z-I-V-I-A-D-R-E-A-M-S. Thank you. So my website is leslianewman.com. So that's very easy. L-E-S-L-E-A-N-E-W-M-A-N.com. And on Twitter, I'm at Leslie Newman. And, um, again, you know, my website, I also have a second website, lesliakids.com that focuses on my kids book. But if you just, it's easy to just remember my name because you can get from one to the other. And there is more information than any human being on the planet could possibly want to know about me on those mm-hmm. websites, including um, mentoring. So I do take on private students and um, mentor people who are writing poetry, fiction, memoir, children's books, anything basically but a cookbook because I don't cook. <laughs> nice. I cook. Well, then we should have you over. That that seems like an easy mm-hmm. solution. So on, yeah, um, we should follow. I should follow you on Twitter, Leslie. I, I, I'm on. Oh Twitter. yes, please do. I'll follow you back. Yeah, I'm at Elizabeth <laughs> because of meat for tea. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. So here are the three questions to each of you in turn. What are you reading these days? What's on your nightstand? Oh, I'm excited to answer that question. <laughs> it's exciting. Uh, but, you know, I just fall in love with, with books. And when I do, it's like, I when I'm not reading the book, I miss it like I miss a friend. Yes. And this book is by a new author, Courtney Donnell, D-E-N-E-L-L-E. And it's called, It's Not nothing. And it's Mm. a novel about a young woman who's battling um, suicidal thoughts and um, alcohol abuse, but it's written so beautifully and in a very unique style. So I am recommending Courtney Donnell's book, which I am in the middle of. And the minute I get off this podcast, I am getting in my pajamas and diving (laughs) back into this book. Oh, I, I consider myself advised. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I am already in my pajamas, so I'm one step ahead of Sibia. Um, nice. I am reading, and this is unusual for me because usually I'm a diehard fiction and poetry reader, but I'm actually reading a nonfiction book called The Lost, A Search for Six of the Six Million. And it is by Daniel Mendelssohn. And he decided that he would investigate what happened to six of his relatives who perished in the Holocaust. Perished is a word that he likes to use. Um, And it takes him all over the world, meeting people who knew his ancestors. You know, they were, you know, he started this search, uh, I think maybe either in the late 1990s or, or early 2000s. So the people who knew his descendants were very old at that point, and they were children during the war or teens and his conversations with them and what he learns about his relatives and what he learns about himself are, is just fascinating. And it reads very much like a novel. He's an excellent writer. So, and I, it's over 500 pages and I have just been wrapped at every page. Leslie, this is funny because I usually am a nonfiction and poetry reader and rarely read novels. And you're usually the opposite. And I'm reading a novel yeah. that reads like a memoir and you're reading a nonfiction that reads like a novel. See, we, we continue to influence each other. Exactly. I love that. Well, and as you know, Sivia, I've given a lot of thought to the conundrum of genre oh, yes that could be a whole other hour-long conversation because yeah maybe there'll be a part two genre bust maybe there should be <laughs> yeah yeah or as i like to think of it trans genre writing because so often things migrate from memoir to something more strictly fictional to maybe poetry and find their way back again and hang out in the middle and maybe turn into dramatic monologues somewhere in the journey too. That's how it ought to be. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect genre is a tool of capitalism invented for marketing and is not serving literature. You know, I think literature Ooh. is served by being open and fluid and inviting. I just had a thought. What if genre is as constructed as gender? Oh, you would not be the first to have had that thought. I'm in a poetry manuscript (laughs) group right now, and we have this discussion. I mean, it's a great discussion. and It's rich. I think there's a lot of crossover between the two. I really do genre and gender. Look at the words. You know, Ellen Bass has a poem called Then Call It Swimming. And it's a poem in one of her early, early books, and it's all about this particular topic which is that, you know, somebody she knows was writing something and it didn't fit neatly into any box. And she just said, then call it swimming. And then she uses swimming, which Sibia is a great swimmer, Mm -hmm. as this metaphor for language and words and, you know, these kind of constructs. I love it. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's just so great. Wow, cool. So what are you guys listening to these days? What's on your turntable if you have such an antiquated device in your home or on your playlist or however you listen to music what are you what are you filling your ears with (laughs) 
that's a fun one. I, I'll out myself as the such a nerdy, uh, <laughs> nerdy person if I answer. This is a nerd-friendly place. <laughs> Leslie, you go first. <laughs> so almost every day I ride an exercise bike and listen to music. Um, nice. So most of the time I belt out Broadway show tunes when I do that. But today, for some reason, I had a little change of mood and I listened to Mary Chapin Carpenter, who I think is such an incredible songwriter. I really mm-hmm. consider her a poet and she's a great guitar player, great singer, but really her lyrics are pretty astounding. That's lovely. And I agree. Truly a poet. That's beautiful. What yeah, a, I saw her in the to... park, um, and she's such a great storyteller and performer. So I just bought all these CDs of hers, and I'm slowly going through them. Fantastic. All right, Sylvia, <laughs> time to out your okay. nerdiness. Well, pretty much all I listen to is NPR. So I listen to a lot of classical music during the day. Nice. Um, and, you know, when I get really wild, it's like Bonnie Raitt or David Bowie or Billy Joel. So... Nice. Yeah. Love David Bowie. I still grieve his loss. Oh, I know. I think he was a mystic. I, I have a theory. I, I, was he an alien? I think maybe he and Prince. Mm. They're just a f- few um, fabulously musical, kind of stellar yeah. transcendent people. Beings. That, yeah. Exactly. Beautiful, and I put beautiful in transcendent trans- beings. Yes. Yeah. In every sense Definitely. of the word. Yeah. Wonderful. So we move from higher brow to lower brow, <laughs> as you will soon see. What are you watching these days? Oh, that's a fun question. There's no guilty pleasure that's uh, that's too embarrassing, and you would be shocked what this editor enjoys watching. Oh, yeah. No guilty pleasure. I always say I just love storytelling, whether it's, you know, movies, TV, soap opera, whatever. But I am in love with the amazing attorney Wu. I think that's the correct name. Ooh, I I saw that in the, uh, do I need to watch that? That's in Netflix, right? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's charming. It's interesting. The the actress who plays Attorney Wu is just fabulous. And the aesthetic is very pleasing. So yeah, I'm loving the amazing Attorney Wu. Might have so to dig my into question, that. Sylvia, is what does your amazing attorney husband think of the amazing <laughs> attorney Wu? <laughs> the amazing attorney Lou is enjoying the amazing attorney Wu with me. <laughs> I love okay. that. Good to know. Yeah, it's great. I think you would both love it. All right, I'm gonna. I wrote it down. Yeah, what do you I have a lot of this conversation. So. Um, this is a very easy question for me to answer because it hasn't changed really in 40 years. I, wow. I watch Jeopardy every night. I am obsessed with Jeopardy. I watched it growing up. I watched it with my parents. Um, especially it was great after my mother died. My dad was uh, pretty profoundly uh, hearing impaired. But Jeopardy is just the best show to watch in that case because everything is visual, right? You see the questions right up there on the Oh, yeah. 
So I'm very serious and very competitive. I keep score every night. <laughs> and when there is a um, category that I think is of particular interest to um, my 21-year-old nephew, I take pictures of the clues and I text them to him and test him. He is very into politics, so I, I love when I can stump him, which is very rare. Um, but so um, my every cat I've ever owned knows or came to learn the Jeopardy theme music and would jump up on the couch and be next to me for that half hour because they knew that I would be sitting absolutely still. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's a Jeopardy household around here. That's very cool. So what, Alex Trebek, right? He was. The I host. know. So we're so, we're mourning the loss of that great man. That great man. So now, for a while, they had guest hosts, and then they were alternating between Ken Jennings and Mayim Bialik, and now they've settled on Ken Jennings. And I have to say, he's very good. Is he? You know, he he is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. Good. I mean, my choice would have been Mayim Bialik, probably. Me too. I have to say that one year for my birthday, I dressed as my Bialik. I love that. <laughs> I have the big glasses. I had the suit jacket. I had, you know, the whole thing going on. So I feel like you're more svelte, not to body but, shame yeah, my Bialik, but I feel that's like you're true. slimmer. Yeah. But wow. I, I think I still pulled it off. <laughs> Well, you know, size has no consequence. That's true. When it comes to costume. I actually dressed up as Patty Hearst one year <laughs> with a working shotgun on my back. It was oh my. Unloaded. But <laughs> loaded? You could get away with, uh, no, unloaded. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know how to use it anyway, so I was utterly harmless. It, in, in the um, mid to late 80s, you could actually get away with a lot. <laughs> it, it's yeah. wild. Right? It's wild. To yes. Think. Well, guys, have we done this? I think we've did done we do- it. I think did we it. did. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, my God, an hour and a half. But you're right. It, it really went fast. And it was because it was so enjoyable. Yeah. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Leslie. Yes. Thank you both. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sylvia. I'm so glad I had you guys. This was so much fun. I have a... I have a feeling it's in the cards mm-hmm. for you to be repeat guests in the be future. Because I know, well, I know you're going to have mm-hmm. more projects to talk about. Maybe pieces that are published in the electric issue of Meat for Tea. Right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> All right. I'm going to think about electric. Plus, we think- need a whole nother conversation about gender, gender and genre. Right, mm-hmm. and that, that we could go deep in we that. You want to talk about nerding out? Right. I've got some nerd cred. This was so much fun, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. What a blast! All right, that was good, wasn't it? Wasn't that fun? It was a lot of fun, and well, and lovely too, and powerful. Some really, really poignant readings from both. Leslie and Sivia, lovely to have them. Yeah, very much indeed. We've got some folks coming up in future episodes. I think we can maybe maybe tease out here. Yeah, we should be having. We're narrowing down the best date for everybody, but we should be having 
John Berglund of La Tijan Parfum, mm-hmm. which is on the beautiful Isle of San Martin and is also in La Jolla, California, I think in one other location. And in exciting news, in November, he opens up a new branch of La Tijan Parfum in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. He's growing. It's great. And his it's stuff very is really exciting. good. He's really, really good. I've been lucky enough to do an in-person perfume workshop where you step into a lab and don a white lab coat and listen to French music and blend your own perfume. And then um, during COVID, I did a virtual fragrance lab. So now I have two perfumes from there and they are beautiful. They really are. I mean, I'm not kidding. They're, they're, these are world-class perfumes. He's he's excellent and Elizabeth's got a great nose too. So I think it's a good combination. But Somehow. Tijon.com, T-I-J-O-N. I believe that is his website and that's where you can go and you can actually do a virtual perfume making class yourself. You can. Of course, if you're living in California or you're living down south, you can visit in person. But we'll link him in the show notes when he's on in the next episode. So anyway, that's something to be looking forward to. So stay tuned in a couple weeks for, probably for that. I think he's going to be our next, we're just confirming. And with that, thank you very much for listening to the Meet for Teacast. See you next time. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review, mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Stone Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meat for tea cast. We welcome suggestions for our contents for the meat for tea cast. If you've attended a meat for tea circ and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright meat for tea and their respective holders. Vote for meat for tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth meat for tea on instagram and on the meat for tea and meat for tea cast facebook pages meat for tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts